People all get ready. Hello, and welcome to the Grantsmanship Center podcast. This afternoon, we are so happy to have a couple of our trainers on site to discuss grants and proposal writing for funding of arts and cultural activities. The session is kindly moderated by trainer Judy Gooch in conversation with trainer Kevin Weiberg. I'm Judy Gooch. I've been a trainer with the Grantsmanship Center since 1994. I've worked on grants-related activities for a wide range of organizations, higher education, healthcare. I've done quite a bit of work with museums and historic houses and other arts and cultural organizations, which is why I'm one of the people who's going to be talking about putting together proposals that are not for your typical project grant. And this is Kevin Weiberg. I'm a consulting trainer for the Grantsmanship Center, and I'm also the development director for a large nonprofit social service agency in central Vermont. And you're also an artist, which and is... I am also an artist in my, quote, spare time, end quote. Right, which is one of the reasons I really wanted Kevin to be part of this discussion. One of the things I hear in class a lot, and Kevin, I think you do too, is... I just don't know how to frame a proposal that isn't built around a problem, something like a high rate of unemployment or people are sick or something like that. How do I frame a proposal that will help me get support for my arts program or for the symphony series in the park or for our voter registration drive? How do I talk about that and get a funder to think it's important enough to fund? Yeah, and I've been trying to broaden the um, definition of that sort of problem statement to include also things what I would call like a value or an opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and I think those are probably, for some people, they can understand that from a perspective of how can I bring this symphony to my community? How can I create this after school a dance performance program, or um, I had one example in Chicago where there was this wonderful opportunity for a museum that had a mentor program for a local high school, Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. and that uh, the result of that program was they had a 98% college enrollment rate in a in a very um, low income part of the community. Right. Well, and that's fairly unusual for an arts type of program because one of the distinguishing characteristics is often that you can't get at any sort of quantitative, measurable outcome. It's much more around qualitative outcomes. But I want to get, I want to get back to your original question, Kevin, about sort of how you think about this. One of the examples I often use in class is Dr. Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. And Dr. Maslow was a psychologist who died back in, oh, 1980 or so, I think. And what he developed was this concept of pretty much a ladder, the bottom rung of the ladder as human organisms. We must eat, we must drink water, we must sleep in most climates. At least some of the time we must have shelter from the elements or we will die. So life-threatening. Okay, next rung up. We can get our food from the food pantries. We can get our clothes from Goodwill We can beg for our bread, but if we are dependent on the kindness of strangers to meet our daily needs, our needs for existence, our lives are impaired. We don't have much control. We have to depend on others. Now, moving up the ladder, we get into things like walking in the park, uh, engaging in the religion of our choice, going to concerts, whether it's the symphony or Nine Inch Nails, um, voting, 
and that kind of thing. Those kinds of activities he defined as life-enhancing, self-actualizing. And you, you just can't talk about them quite the same way you can talk about meeting the basic survival needs. Okay. So you want to think in terms, in, in slightly different terms. And one of the ways I help people begin to think about this is I say, okay, do you like to go to concerts or do you like to go to parks? Why? What do you get out of it? And so I'm going to, I'm going to turn this on you now, Kevin. You're an artist. What does it do for you? What are the benefits to you from practicing your pottery? Well, I think for, for me, I have a, what I would consider a pretty cerebral sort of job, you know, mm-hmm. researching community problems and issues, helping design uh, effective programs, and then writing proposals to secure funds. For me, that is certainly cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's helpful to be creative in that type of work as well. But when you do something such as create art, it's um, it, it allows for that sort of internal expression. And it also, for some folks, it's very much uh, the the ability to use your hands or, and you know, uh-huh. like dancers to use your bodies and singers to use your voice to just express uh Right. So using, using other parts of your capacity. Absolutely. Okay. Turn yourself into an audience. What do you get out of, for example, going to a museum and seeing an exhibition? You know, there's a word for it. I can't think of what it is, but it's when you're kind of transformed or transported to another place or time through uh-huh. through music or a visual right. experience. And um, one of the things I like to think of is sometimes if I go to a museum and there's a, a big painting by Rothko or, you know, another more abstract artist that when you walk up to the painting and it completely frames your vi- your field of vision, all of a sudden amazing things happen there like what you feel motion you feel movement you you you're you i think you even probably have physiological sort of responses mm-hmm. you know um sometimes uh, uh music will get you going get your uh-huh. blood pumping and you're you know and you're uh-huh. starting to j- dance a little bit or you know you have the music that just sort of soothes you and calms you down and allows you to be in sort of a right. more restful state uh-huh, uh-huh. Does it change the way you look at the world? I think it does, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think it um, it certainly can make the world seem a little bit more optimistic sometimes, uh-huh. even if it's just uh-huh. for that moment. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's what, for me, the power of art uh, in a community is that opportunity to create a sense of hope for the future, uh-huh. uh, a sense that things can be different, you can make change, you can influence your life and your surroundings. Right, right. And what I hear from others as well is that it helps them understand that there are different ways of expressing ideas. It's not just verbally, it's not just in writing. You can express ideas musically, you can express them in paint, you can express them in, you know, in clay. And so it helps us understand that people have many different capacities. There's been some work along the lines of how important the arts are in building empathy. If we can understand that people look at the world in different ways, it may help us understand others and develop our tolerance, develop our sense of connection. Again, it's very hard to pin anything like that down. But there is language out there. There is literature out there. There's research out there that you can use in your proposal to bolster your request for funds for your 
arts program, for example? You know, one of the things, uh, Judy, that I've heard more and more about lately is what's called the creative economy. And yes. that the arts and culture actually has an economic benefit for a community. And, and I do a lot of proposals around that whole issue of community economic development. And mm -hmm. I think that is, um, mm -hmm. while it doesn't necessarily talk about the transformational nature of art and music and culture, right. but it certainly uh, talks about how it can actually add to the economic vitality of a right. community or a neighborhood. Right. And I had a, I had a couple of participants in a class uh, training recently that were interested in developing a center for gospel music in a, mm. in a relatively nice. large southern city. And they talked about in crafting that proposal and talking about the opportunities that were presented by the creating the place for this gospel music center was the impact that it would have on the community in terms of tourist dollars and right. other economic benefits. Right. And in fact, there's a book written by a man named, I think, Richard Florida that discusses that at some length. Um, I think it's important if we can come at some sort of quantifiable economic benefit to do that. But I think it's really important not to pin everything in the arts on the economic benefit because if all we're concerned about is putting more heads in beds as they say in the in the tourist industry we're better off probably building a branch of disneyland on the national mall than trying to have more art exhibitions symphonies that that kind of thing and my guess though is that arts funders are probably like all other funders kind of unique and have their own sort of uh, approaches and um I'm curious as to what the conversation is um, from your perspective mm -hmm. among the funders in terms of are they really looking at art, art for the in inherent... Art for art's sake. Art for yeah. art's sake and art as it pertains to other things right. such as economic well, development I, and education. Right. Certainly what I have seen over the last 10 to 15 years is that you know, 15 years ago, it was art for art's sake. You would go to an arts funder, and it was understood that arts are good. No arts is not a good situation. All right, we'll give you money to do whatever artsy thing it is and how many people are going to benefit from it. You know, how many people are going to come to your exhibition. But as we have seen in the more typical um, project area, you know, un reducing unemployment, increasing the number of kids who graduate from school, just as we have seen a growing emphasis on outcomes for that kind of area, we have seen an emphasis in the arts funders uh, on, okay, so tell us how this really is going to have an impact on people's lives, not just how many of them are going to access whatever it is you'd like us to help fund, but how is it going to make a difference for them? And one of the things that I think is extremely important whenever you're thinking about some sort of an unquantifiable outcome. I mean, we can't really make the case that by coming to our arts program, um, increasing numbers of people are going to get jobs or whatever. One of the things that the funder is going to want to know is how you are going to get feedback from the people who accessed your arts offering that will help you understand and share with them the ways in which the people who came feel that the experience made a difference in their lives. I worked 
uh, with one regional history museum. One of the things I did with them was run a series of focus groups. What came out of those focus groups was very interesting. People felt that by looking at exhibitions of regional history, it helped them develop a greater sense of community within their own geographic areas. That's the kind of information that you're never going to be able to pin down in any sort of quantifiable term. I mean, what are you going to try to prove? That there's less littering by people who uh, get a stronger sense of community? I don't know. That the voter turnout is higher? Um, I don't think you can really try to go there. But it gives a feel for the kind of value that people get out of some experience like that. I'm glad you mentioned history because I think sometimes when we're talking about arts, we forget about uh, the humanities and uh, the importance of right. writing and poetry and and our right. history, right. and um and and how that really adds to the human experience. Right. Yes, and cultural history is a topic that comes up fairly frequently in my classes. Um, why is it important? to understand the history of one's own culture or of another culture. I think it's important to ask people why they think it's important. As a, as a grants person, as the person writing the proposal, I don't have to be an expert on all of this, but I do have to know enough to ask people who are experts. There is, as I said earlier, there's research out there. There are good publications out there. The Institute of Museum and Library Services, IMLS, has an excellent publication for anybody dealing with arts and culture written by a man named Stephen Weil. And he has some wonderful information in there about the value of the museum experience in helping people understand the past and why it's important for us to understand the past. Well, I think, you know, we've had the opportunity to speak with funders recently. And that one of the things the funders mention is understanding our organization's fit within the community. And mm -hmm. I think when it comes to arts and culture organizations, mm -hmm. that's a really uh, opportunity to present a real strength mm -hmm. of your organization. How does, how does your organization contribute to the culture and the quality of life? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, mm -hmm. that's another buzz term that we hear often is the quality of life and, mm -hmm. and how do arts and cultures contribute to that as well. Right. And the concert series brings people together. If if your museum has family weekend activities, it's a good time for family members to be together doing things that are creative and fun. And there's nothing wrong with saying this activity is going to be fun for people. So, Judy, at the Grantsmanship Center, we teach people how to write proposals using a, a series of concepts. And I'm wondering, how do you address these concepts? And we're talking specifically about uh, arts and culture sort of projects or programs? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, the introduction is going to be the same. What does the organization do? What is its credibility? Who does it serve? How do they benefit? It's a great opportunity, particularly for arts and culture organizations, to put in testimonials, you know, feedback from people who have come to the exhibition, quotes from the children who came to the hands-on um, arts workshop or whatever it is. Rather than framing it as a problem statement, I tend to frame it as a need, but not in terms of we need this, but in terms of here are benefits that people get from participating in activities like this. 
you know, so whatever the activity is, going to the national parks, voting, um, going to a concert, engaging in producing art or uh, being an audience, whatever. Okay, so what are the benefits? What population is, that we're concerned about is not getting these benefits and why not? What are the barriers for them? Is it distance? Is it expense? Is it time? Is it there are there could be any number of reasons why the particular group you're interested in working with is not having access to whatever this is. So there are your causes. Your outcomes are obviously going to be more people will get the benefits but we're going to speak in terms of goals. We're not going to speak in terms of specific objectives. X people will be better off in Y measurable ways over Y period of time. We're going to have a goal. More people will gain an understanding of the history of the Polish culture. And then we'll go into our methods. Here's our exhibition. Here's our uh, here are our brochures, our publications, our public presentations, whatever whatever it's going to be. Now, where it gets interesting, I think, is in evaluation, because yes, you are going to and you will want to count the numbers of people who access whatever it is, but then you're going to look for things that indicate they found it was an experience of value to them. And this is going to be things like repeat visits. If you're running a symphony, you're going to be trying to sell season tickets and you're going to watch the renewal rate, because that's going to give you an indication of how valuable um, people find it. If yours is a membership organization, you're going to be looking at the growth in members, you're going to be looking at renewals. So these are what I would consider indicators that people value the kind of service you provide. If your organization does um, any sort of fundraising in addition to, say, ticket sales, which I hope your organization does, you want to track that as well because increasing income Contributions from individuals, grants, uh, support from the outside, from the public, can be a good indicator that the public finds what you do of value. I think that one of the things that all those indicators have in common is that they're easily obtainable. Yeah. You know, they're in your control as an right. organization. But it also means that you need to maintain consistent records that are rely that will reliably show these sorts of changes that you want to share with your funders. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a lot about uh, museum exhibits and arts and dance performances. Mm -hmm. What other types of proposals would a uh, arts or, or humanities organization oh, okay. need? Oh, bricks and mortar. I hear that all the time. Um, I'm currently uh, engaged in helping a historical society raise several million dollars to turn the oldest house in town into a historic house museum, and they're more than halfway there. But the case for bricks and mortar, again, always comes back to who is going to benefit from the ability to see, to visit, to interact with this particular structure and its contents. What are they going to get out of it? And how is their experience going to be enhanced by the improvement to the structure, by whatever's happening behind the scenes? One of the things that anybody looking for funds for these less quantifiable kinds of projects has to realize is that there are many different kinds of funders in the world. There are the funders who will never fund anything like a museum or a voter reg registration drive or improvements to the park downtown. They just don't do that. They're concerned about those life-threatening or life-impairing issues like unemployment, like people are hungry, that kind of thing. But then there are the other funders who are interested in 
the roses of life, so to speak. You know, the fun, there are funders who do bread. There are funders who do roses. The world needs both bread and roses. And what you want to look for are those funders who do the roses. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Visit the resources section of our website at www.tgci.com to view this article and others in their entirety. Also, be sure to check out our nationwide training schedules for a workshop coming soon to an area near you. People all get ready. Because they're coming to the start.